going on everybody 360 digital closing bell here i am your humble humble correspondent michael tanner joined as always by the executive producer of the show the purveyor of the show and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website oil and gas 360.com Stuart turley how are you doing this morning my man i'm doing fantastic it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood and we got a busy busy week coming up i know it's going to be a good show because you're in your relaxed chair you're in your lean back chair. You're going to be too relaxed. We have a really, we have a great show for you guys lined up. Episode number, I think this is 39. I think we're coming up close on 40. So we're about to have a, an old birthday party here. Roll over on the decade. Um, if you're listening to this, it's August 3rd, 2020. We're recording. It's about 6.50 in the morning. We're a little late. We chatted it up a little bit. I had some stuff to do this morning. Uh, but we really do have a good show for you lined up. You know, this week, you know, last week big was earnings. And I think the big thing that came out of it was, you know, the difference between what what is gap and versus non-gap. I think you saw a huge, just not discrepancy, but you saw that a lot in the differences. And I think it's important for us to get over it. Could get us in trouble, but 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 why not? Um, we'll check in with the <laughs> levels for crude oil and with the commitment of traders. Maybe do some Rockies talk. I got heated this week this weekend watching. Good to have some baseball back finally. Something on TV. Um, the 360 official non-official fund is still suspended, but Bonanza Creek continues to be a cash cow for it. So I'm just I might reopen it back up just so we can start taking profits there. But first, guys, I need to tell you about my friends adamantine energy and what they're doing for social risk for the energy sector it's not just community opposition to all of the development projects that you and your companies are working on i promise you it's everything from the success from the divest from fossil fuels movement to this crazy investor engagement that's going all around your esg program to individual states now and it's now we're we not let alone um you know, the, 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 the IR stuff needs to talk about this all the time about how the only way you're going to get capital now is ESG. Let alone that, states now are requiring ESG and are setting some crazy decarbonization agendas. It really, seriously, it seems like it's everywhere and it's multiplying like zombies. And that's why your company needs a strategic partner like Adamantine Energy to help prepare for all of this shareholder and institutional risk. Or what Tisha Shuler, who's the CEO of that company, awesome person, really defines as this, what's called social risk. And I think it's a, it's, it's about, it's, I mean, really, it's a great thing. Talk about taking, you know, really, when you talk about this type of work, it's a very abstract concept. You know, there's, I get nine different bullet points that kind of attempts to take this whole consulting, you know, take this business model and, and put it in a way that makes sense. And, and, and boiling it down to the idea of social risk, I think, is the perfect way to do it. And she, what she does is she works through all of these issues on her weekly podcast, Energy Thinks by Tisha Schuler. It's it's honestly really, really good if you want to get into kind of the nitty gritty of all of this ESG and social risk stuff. You can find it Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can also read her weekly thoughts at energythinks.com. She's a, a weekly newsletter she, she she spins up every week called The Energy... Th- or, uh, both of these things are true. She's got a lot of different newsletters. She I promise you, you should sign up for them though because her competitors your competitors are reading it so i I guarantee you you can find out all of this at energythinks.com you should also subscribe to this show the 360 digital closing bell itunes spotify or youtube the best way to stay up to date on all of your energy market stuff we are live on youtube every single day at 2 p.m mountain standard time covering what went on sort of just the overall equities markets but specifically energy equity markets and, and what that futures curve looks like you should also subscribe to all things oil and gas 360 on social media twitter facebook um we're on linkedin we're i'm tweeting all the time now we're holding we're holding uh um on twitter we're holding funerals for denbury i mean it's everyone we're 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 getting our moment of we're doing everything guys connect with us you can also connect with me and Stu on linkedin 
You should also follow the Energy 360 podcast by Intercom, which is probably the best place for energy thought leadership. Stu's basically in charge of that. We don't really have anyone coming up because we're kind of in massive conference mode, but do you have anything? I know we're cooking up some interesting stuff. What's on the horizon for that podcast? Well, uh, this week we've had some delays and we're uh, releasing Tony Heller, a very, very big uh, YouTube channel guy for um, uh, understanding of renewables. And tomorrow we have another Inveris uh, update on open insights. And then after that, we have a very large international um, oil field service and other ones coming up around the corner. We are starting to stack up some really big ones coming around the corner. No, it'll 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 be really good to see what happens with that. You should follow that energy. 360 by Intercom, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, there's a lot to cover this week, guys. I, I was sitting down this morning putting together this outline. I mean, there's a lot to cover. I mean, I think clearly it's going to be a wild week for, you know, we could have, you know, it's going to be a wild week for earnings. I mean, well, I'll read you the list here in a little bit. Woof, Stu. We thought last week was busy. It's going to be busy this week, Stu. So, um, but I really, you know, as as I th- as I sat this week and really thought and, and and really tried to, you know, Friday we ran the show trying to reflecting on what some of the, you know, tried to at least from a from a quick standpoint take take away a couple of things. I think the biggest things we took away, if you if you missed that show, was international. You know, our, our our bet going into quarter two, you can go back and look at this show. I think we did it the Monday before all of those earnings dropped. Was international, offshore are going to continue to or, or international and natural gas are going to be the two winners here in in, in in earnings and we've seen about half of the earnings drop and we were we were only 50 percent right we've seen natural gas clearly play well if you look at all of the i mean we i, I don't want to roll i mean we spent all i'm going to spend all week rolling through earnings reports so i'm not going to do that right now but if you just go look at all of the major gas companies that have released from williams all the way to enbridge they all produced better than expected results why well it's just that's this market we're in and that i mean we weren't going out on a limb saying that i think the other we thought and i think maybe we went out more on a limb was was the international we were bullish on the international section specifically because i mean one of the big tea leaves i read was quarter one schlumberger pulled a profit of 19 percent internationally which you know not majority you know and so my assumption, and reading some other tea leaves, if you follow the Energy 360 podcast religiously, you'll know a lot of the guests that we had on the service side, whether they told us on the podcast or before the podcast, they were seeing huge growth internationally. They had zero customers domestically. So that was, the tea leaves, <coughs> excuse me, kind of, that, that that's what moved us in that direction. And when you look at how quarter two earnings have rolled out so far, it's really not been the case. Everything got hit hard by the coronavirus, minus natural gas. I think we we, we got a base hit with natural gas, but we we struck out swinging on uh, on international because Schlumberger produced a, a wildly low profit. They they cut twenty one thousand jobs the day after earnings. That's about twelve percent of their workforce. What we will say though is we are very excited about what the M and A change is we've got some more to talk about but that got started internationally and there is a huge uh bunch of MAs coming right around the corner and that's all started by the international groups yep exactly um but you know so outside of i kind of those two big kind of takeaways at least halfway through the other thing that i saw a lot of and i got a lot of questions on was 
this concept of what's called non-gap versus gap. And I think a lot of people, it, it confused. I remember when I was first learning, I didn't get, what do you see? I, you see an earnings report come out and it says, we made X amount of money, and then in parentheses, non-gap. And you're like, well, what does that mean? And then the next bullet point, it says some weird other number that looks like they should be the same number. It's net income, adjusted net income. One of them says gap next to it, the other one says non-gap. And I think it's important just to give a quick overview of what really that is. Because I think it can, if you're looking at these 10 Qs and, 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 and maybe, you know, got, you know if, you're, if you're trying to actually consider whether or not you're going to long-term invest in some of these energy companies, you're going to want to know the difference because there's, you know, I think once you sort of learn the difference, it'll be interesting. So, I mean, the gap versus non-gap. So I think, first off, what does it actually straight up mean? Well, gap stands for generally accepted accounting principles, which basically is a, a way to provide the clearest picture in order to compare companies. So to give you an idea, when a company releases a, ten, a, a, a quarterly report, they have to follow generally accepted accounting principles, which, which are put forth by the Financial Accounting Standards Board. Public companies can also report non-GAAP numbers which we'll get into what that is, but it not, but they are required in a 10Q and a 10K, which is your annual, to release a, an earnings statement, as you all see. You can go on the 10Q, you can pull up a 10Q. All of that stuff in a 10Q, it's why I read the 10Qs and not the company statements, because if it's, a, it's in a 10Q, it has to abide by this idea of generally accepted accounting principles, which were, as I mentioned, set forth by the Financial Accounting Standards Board. So, what is, you know, basically, it's a, not, gap accounting is a way to standardize accounting across industries so that anyone, investors, potential shareholders, employees, anyone can see the financial status, and the SEC requires four times a year you release that. Private companies are not beholden to gap. So if you're, if you're ever looking at a private company, let's say you're a qualified investor, which if you are, great, thanks for listening to the show. Second, make sure that when they're, you're getting numbers... They, they don't have to disclose that they're gap versus non-gap. Um, they, you know, some companies do, but, um, and so yes. And so you kind of now probably get the point of what non-gap is. And it's exactly what you think it is. It's the non-generally accepted accounting principles. And so basically that means exactly what you think it means. It's everything else other than this set of practices or gap is what it goes. And you know, and so here's the here's probably the best quote I can pull for Gap. I'm not necessarily I'm not a financial accountant here, so we're I'm I, I come at this from an investor standpoint, and I think that's where more of as a as an analyst perspective, and I'll kind of get into why. But you you know, kind of one of the best ways to find Gap is the SEC devised Gap as a means for standardizing financial information, so that investors can more easily compare them. Gap is a way for public companies to report their earnings using time honored accounting principles, including a accrual accounting, revenue recognition, and expense matching. Companies that use GAAP are required to report expenses in the same period as they report related revenue. Okay, boom. So that, if that gives you any idea, that's what GAAP is. I mean, I'm not an accountant. I, shout out, I would never, did you like accounting, Stu? I hated accounting. Never liked it. I hated accounting. However, I appreciated a lot of it in my MBA program because I was mm. actually old enough to understand it. <laughs> yeah, and you got a probably a good idea of the difference. So, 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 and we're gonna dive into all that. So that's kind of so that's what the that's the what I would say is the 
not legal definition, but I would say that th those are the definitions of, of gap versus non-gap. It's the set of principles, generally accepted accounting principles, that are pretty standard. And, you know, it, it basically allows for an apples-to-apples -apples comparison of same industry cross-company. So now the question is, why do companies report both? Or what, what, what is both? So, to give you an idea, Stu, we're going to play a game called is it gap or non-gap? Oh, I'm going to no. read you a term, and you have to tell me if it's gap or non-gap. Okay? okay. We're going to drum roll, please. Earnings per share. Gap or non-gap? Gap. Ding, you are correct. Earnings per share is a gap terminology um, and is defined. I don't actually know where it is, but you're right. So anytime you see earnings per share, it's a generally accepted accounting principle, which means... You can compare it cross company. You can look at earnings per share of Chevron and compare that to the earnings per share of Exxon. All right. Doo -doo 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 -doo. Free cash flow, gap or non-gap? Holy crap. Um, <laughs> uh, non-gap. Ooh, this is a tricky one, and he is correct. Free right. cash flow, probably one of my favorite terminologies. When I'm looking at, a, at any sort of statement, well, guess what? It is non-GAAP, a non-generally accepted accounting principle. Ooh, we're going to have to get into what does that mean. All right, last one. Doo -doo 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 -doo. Operating income, GAAP, non-GAAP. GAAP. No, it is non-GAAP. I we missed get that into one. Why? So go, Stu goes two for three. Hey, if you were a baseball player, you would have made the Hall of Fame. So that's okay. all I say. If we're playing baseball, are, you would have made the Hall of Fame. Are we going to talk about EBITDA? That was one of them. We'll get into. I I just wanted to. I thought that was a fun, quick game. I mean, so just to give you guys an idea, Stu is an MBA, and went yep. two for three on this. So this gives you an idea of how hard it is for people who actually study this stuff to keep this keep track of it. Michael, uh, what's happening in the uh, oil and gas investing market is uh, a lot of uh, Intercom's clients. Uh, as they come up to the oil and gas conference coming up on the 17th through the 19th, huge, I'm going to give it a shameless plug here. Uh, so many oil and gas company CEOs are coming up and saying, we have to go find generalist investors. And so they are having to compare their oil and gas company or their energy company against healthcare against all yeah. of manufacturing. So the gap is very important uh, because there's not a measurable. Now, if you're trying to compare against your competitors, uh, it's a way to kind of float around on the gap versus non-gap. Well, yeah, and, 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 and so I think, you know, I think the question then when people hear the, the difference or hear the definition, they say, well, is non-gap just made up? The answer is of course not because Non-gap is very important, as we just played a little game to kind of tease gap versus non-gap. Free cash flow, which in my opinion, is one of two line items you should look at and then move on when you're looking at the health of a company, is a non-gap term. So it does require a little more investigation, but I don't. it, it, it doesn't mean that non-gap is not important. And, and, and so this is, I, I love reading definitions because they do a much better job of, of, of 
summarize things that I can. So non-GAAP, which you can also call pro forma, really helps management teams assess proposed budgets for projects. These forward-looking analysis, I think that's the key. A lot of non-GAAP generally has some forward-looking baked into it. Uses company-specific approaches to recognize value and classify accounting balances. Modifications typically include efforts to remove sunk costs and add opportunity costs, accounting treatments that deviate from the GAAP accounting structure. Management teams understandably adjust balances in varied ways to suit particular circumstances clearly since the intended audience is limited to those within the company comparability of cross firms isn't a concern so that gives you an idea the original reason non-gap was spun up was so that internal management teams could have a clearer picture of how the company's operating because if you're trying to compare a healthcare company to an oil company you're going to lose a lot of stuff in between because they op they don't do anything the same they, they, all they do is pay, they probably have very similar pay structures. They probably, you know, employees, is pro, you know what I mean? So it's, so you're going to lose a lot in the translation. So when you go down to non-GAAP, while it's exactly what you think it is, there are no real set of the principles you're following. Now there are, as you know, if you were to bring on, you know, someone who does this, they would take you, you know, they, and there is, there are what, what I would call, it's like baseball. There are unwritten rules that how non-GAAP and GAAP abide by. Now, and really it is as long as you just have to disclose how you came up with a non-GAAP number. That's really the unwritten rule. You just and, and it's not really unwritten. You're required to do that. But that's you come up with whatever you want as long as you sort of explain the math behind it in the in the show notes that nobody reads. Um, you'll be able to get it. On page 35 with about a uh, five <laughs> point, uh, you know, on really, really small font size. Exactly. So, so how does this work in management? Why do, why do then we see non-GAAP numbers all the time? Because if you read, I mean, you, you go back and look last, if you go read any press release or you go read any, whether it's a press release from a oil company or from their, from their, from their IR team, from, from wherever, they have to just, on that, you're going to see both GAAP and non-GAAP numbers. And they will tell you because they are required to tell you. When you go look at a 10Q, it's why I tell people I pour through the 10Qs. It's great. They, it's just, you, you are not allowed to put non-GAAP on there. It has to be GAAP because it's a quarterly report. So that's, that's where I love to look, specifically on the 10Q. Um, um, specifically on, and then what you can do is you can use the 10Q to backwards do the math and figure out how they came up with their non-GAAP numbers. Because all they do is they take their 10Q and they do, as we'll, I, I, we're going to get into a specific example of here of how you can turn a loss into a, ooh, we made a profit this quarter. Um, but you, that's just how you do it. And so I think, as I sort of just teased right there, I think the best way is to, is to do a little, do a little, uh, do, uh, let's say, do an example. It's our friends, and, and, we, and, we, and we dog on them a lot, but for good reason. Contro Resources um, out of Midland. Um, big company. Um, they do whew, they do a lot. They do about $12 billion a year in revenue, which is it's a pretty big-sized company. They're doing about 200,000. I mean, if you look down, they're doing about 200,000 barrels of oil per day, um, which is down about two, from 206,000 barrels a day. So, yeah, they're not cutting. Yeah, one year ago, they were doing 206 million barrels of oil per day, and now they're doing... 200,000 barrels per day. Oh yeah, they real they really went hard shutting in production. Sorry. See, this is where you find out companies are cheating, 
right here. Because everyone forgets. No one remembers what you actually stated you were going to do. Eh, sorry. I get, I'm off track. But you go to Contra Resources, you go to their website, and you find their press release for 630, which is their earnings report. And remember, this is a press release, so this is not the quarterly report. First thing they tell you is second quarter highlights. It's like the first half. Generated cash flow from operating activities, $689 million. Operating cash flow before working cap changes. What is that? And then clearly non-GAAP. Total, some number, a bunch of other numbers, quote, non-GAAP. So if you read the first, I mean, I don't, we don't need to go down and read them. You read the first six, non-GAAP. There's EBITDAX. Hi, there's your EBITDAX right there. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six times out of the eight bullets do they push non-GAAP versus a GAAP number. And this is the craziest part. One... This is, the, this is the seventh bullet point. Okay, this is, this is, I love how they put this in the seventh bullet point. Well, you, you thought they would make an income. They put it bullet point once, too, right? Didn't they report an income? Oh, right. let's take a look at the numbers. Reported net loss, $435 million, or about negative $2.23 per share. Adjusted net income, which clearly, as they have in parentheses, is a non-GAAP number, was actually a profit of $223 million, or about $1.13 a share. Interesting. Well, that's interesting. How did that work? That w how did we go from loss to profit? But I but and but we went because we also went from gap to non-gap. And so, where did that six hundred million come from? Because that's the swing we're talking about. A lo net loss of about four hundred and thirty million to uh, profit know. or uh, operating income uh, or an adjusted net income of two hundred and twenty-three. How does that work? So this is where. We have to, or sorry, you want to say something, Stu? Uh, just uh, EBITDAX, earnings uh, before interest taxes and after. That was $632 million. That was the last bullet point. They put that, they, they squeezed that one at the bottom. That's right under this one. Yep. Okay. Exploration is a real problem right now, and they're mm -hmm. right down these things. So yeah. I, I, I just want to kind of share this one. It was on a coffee mug. Uh, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization, and uh, 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 coronavirus. Uh, EBITDAC. I'm sorry. I think that that is going to be the standard because Michael, you and I talked about it last week. Everybody was blaming uh, COVID on. All oh yeah, everyone's. You read these reports. It's it's and, they're all blaming COVID. Oh yeah, and and so they're also using this opportunity to write take every write down they can. Uh, we saw it with all the majors. They were, was it 13 billion on one of them? Uh, oh, majors took, majors took hits, but we'll kind of, I want to dive into that because oh. I think there's a, there's a difference. Super majors, fine, I'll give you the answer. Super majors don't, don't really need to report non-gap figures because it doesn't matter when your quarterly revenue is down 20, it's down 40% and you still brought in 32 billion in revenue. You, 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 you play in a different league than someone like Concho who makes a quarter of that in the whole year. Right. So there is a, the, the, you, you see less non-gap and you see way more honest earning statements the bigger the company is. Apple doesn't, Apple doesn't mind if they turn a quarter three profit or quarter three loss. I mean, they never will because everyone's buying. I mean, I'm, we're buying new iPhones left and right. It turns out everybody with their stimulus check bought a new iPhone and, and Amazon. Fair enough. I mean, who would have guessed? Who would have guessed America would have bought things on Amazon and an iPhone with 1200 bucks? I'm down. Give me another check. I'm in. 
I'm in. Um, sorry, side rant there. So, get back to it. Concho reported net loss of $435 million, but then when they adjust net income, which is a non-GAAP number, and go from GAAP to non-GAAP, $232 million, or $223 million short away. Well, what happened? Well, this is when you have to dive into the actual 10Q statement. And sometimes they post it in, like sometimes their press release, like the one I'm reading, if you scroll down, they actually take highlights from their 10Q. So you don't actually have to uh, dive into the 10Q. But I do. Because I still don't trust anything that's, if it's got a, if it's got a company letterhead on it, I don't trust it. Sorry. It's just how it works. It's how I, it's how I operate. So Michael, that's any company. And there are a lot of managers uh, that do that. We just don't want to say this is ethical, non-ethical. This is business practice. I want to throw that out there. There, yeah. I mean, uh, there are good, good. I mean, you just can't say you're an evil company. Uh, if you use non-GAAP, I got, I just got, Oh no, 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 no. Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying. I, I'm just, just, cause just, as you will see, there's a, there's a reason for non-GAAP and we will get into that. Trust me. I'm not going to, we're not going to just, we're not going to play one side here. So we play both sides, but here we go. So how were they able to add about 600 million in revenue to get to adjusted net income? Well, here we go. Boom. As we're looking at their 10Q right here. Sorry, I was scrolling it up. Perfect. 2020, first line item, net loss, $435 million. Now we have adjustments for certain. So then right under that, they give you the adjustment, because this is how they do that. Adjustments for certain non-cash and special items. So this, I'm sorry, this isn't in their 10Q, but this is their net loss, which is a gap number. But then they have to show you how they do the math to get to create $600 million. So here we go. Here's how we'll walk through what they gain and subtract to get to adjusted. And we'll see if this makes any sense to you guys. Okay? So a net loss, which is oil price, well, how much we sold versus how much revenue we brought in. That's it. Gap is pretty simple. You don't have to be a crazy accountant to really get gap. It's generally inflows minus outflows. Right. Right, Stu? You're the you've got the MBA here. You're the doctor here. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not an accountant. I'm taking a reading. Neither am I. So here we go. First, adjustment for certain non-cash and special items. Gain slash loss on derivatives net. Woof, Stu. <laughs> and this is where they get you, Stu. If, it, if something is in parentheses, is it generally positive or negative? Uh, I'm guessing negative. I, uh, well, so... You would think so, but remember, it's a non-GAAP statement, so you can change this. So listen to how Contro does this. This is slick. They go, in parentheses, gain-loss on derivatives. So what does that mean? That means if the number is not in parentheses, that represents a loss, correct? That would be correct. They lost $514 million on derivatives trading in quarter two. Whoa-ho-fuck. Woof, 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 indeed. So guess what that means? Under non-GAAP, oh, we'll just write that off because that's that's what you can do. You know, that's adjusted net income. Oh, that was just derivatives trading because, I mean, that's, as they would say, that's money they already spent. That's money they had sitting in margin. They won't necessarily get that money back, okay? Well, now get this. They then got paid on, which is, yep, exactly. And then they go down the list. They actually got... They actually uh, gained some on uh, 
They actually sold for about 100, for 105 million. They sold some assets, which brings them down. So now we're only at a uh, 400 million dollar swing. So we're still gonna come up with 200 million. Where they come up with that from? Um, they had a taxed impact, which were they able to write down um, another 200 million. So now we're down to crap. We need another 400 million. Well, guess what? They wrote down. 415 million in assets, which brings an adjusted net income to just about 223 million for an adjusted earnings per share of a profit in a quarter in which they lost 435 million. If that does not give you the clearest picture of the difference between gap and non-gap and why you have to be careful, I don't know what to tell you. And and, and Stu brought this up. The oil field has really taken advantage of a non-gap for years. I mean, these are I've seen some wild reporting statements. I've seen dollar per foot drilled. What does that even mean? What does that even... I want somebody to come on and explain that to me. Dollar per foot drilled over my head. I saw this one, Stu. Dollar per barrel acres. What? Now we're breaking down... Okay, then this is this is one. Net debt. Yikes. Now we're talking about net debt? What does that mean? That's a... Net debt? That could be anything, Stu. What is net debt? That... I get long-term debt. I get here are debt maturity dates. What does net debt mean? That's got to be weird. So those are like three of my favorite non-GAAP accounting terms. And if you hear any of those, woof, I don't know. <laughs> I'm surprised I either didn't get a double woof from you or a shaggy or a scooby. rut row. <laughs> no kidding, rut row. So, so now, all that being said, when you look, so, so, so is the now, so, so you're probably asking yourself, is the answer now to only look at gap? And I'm actually going to tell you no, because it's important to look at both. Because if you go back to the definition of gap, gap is forward looking. It allows a company to give some sort of forward looking guesstimate on what they think their cash flow is going to look like on a rolling basis. Non-GAAP also includes free cash flow. And this is where we get back to kind of the list. So to give you kind of an idea, here's some list of some non-GAAP cash flows. EBITDA, which is uh, earnings before taxes and interest. EBITDA, earnings before taxes, interest, amortization. Adjusted EBITDA, a helpful tip. Anytime you see the word adjusted, it's non-GAAP. Why? Well, it's adjusted. Think (laughs) about it. They've adjusted the term. It's it's not hard to figure out why. Uh, Free cash flow. Free cash flow is a non-GAAP term, but if done right, the best way to figure out really what I talked about, the inflow and outflow of cash from a company. Operating income, operating earnings per share. Another helpful tip, if you see the word operating, they just figured out, they just got to change the word adjusted to something else. It's the same thing. Sometimes you'll see adjusted earnings per share, adjusted income. Um, I mean, that's what Concho, Concho didn't use operating income. They came out and said adjusted net income. So anytime you see the word adjusted, just know. Yeah. But so it's not so there is use for both and there's a need for both because as you read, free cash flow, which is in my in, in my best guess and in, in my world, the best way to sort of figure out the health of a company, it's a non gap yeah. number. Now you can you can get crazy with, with free cash flow, non gap, because you can really change that. But you also are they're required to show you how they do the math because that's just part of the SEC disclosure. So 
You bet. I, hey, uh, let me give a shout out to Ring Energy. They'll be presenting at the conference as well, too. In December, uh, they got finally to free cash flow. Uh, they reduced CapEx. Uh, they had their rigs uh, actually drop. I have to uh, fact check the number, but it was a sub, uh, substantial, huge uh, reduction in CapEx and their drilling costs. And they achieved free cash flow. And then uh, COVID hit. And how do you, as a good management team, you know, that one was a take it uh, in the back of the head. So anyway, I just wanted to use that as a really good example of using uh, free cash flow. Yeah, and, and, and so to wrap this up, I mean, yikes, we're over 30 minutes here. We haven't even gotten into oil trading yet. So and to kind of put a bow on all of this, when, you're, when, when you see non-GAAP, don't automatically think scam. Just think, I want antennas up. I want antennas up thinking, okay, what are they doing? Because there's a way, like, you know, there, there, there's a way to use gap in a very good way, but there's also a way to use it in a really bad way. And you can, you know, I think working through that example with Contra gives you an idea. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying this is how you can turn a loss into a profit. This is just nice accounting. I want to hire. We're going to hire. We're putting out, we're going to start putting out in quarter three pod, non-podcast. Uh, we're going to put out quarterly reports for our podcast starting Q3. And we're going to adhere to non-GAAP. So, I mean, we're going to hire the fanciest accountant. He's going to flip our six subscribers into six million, guys. It's going to be some of the greatest math you've ever seen. So, uh, uh, stay tuned for that. Anything else? Is there anything else, Stu, on, on, on GAP versus non-GAP you think we need to talk about before we move on here? Um, it, I think you nailed it on uh, bringing the hairs up on the back of your neck. All you got to do is check it out. And, and, and management uh, and the uh, oil firms are using it as an opportune time to readjust uh, for Q3 right now. Oh, yeah. And... Uh... You know, it's. I'm looking at the earnings calendar for this week, and uh, this is a double wolf, wolf. Holy smokes, too. But um, before we get into that, let's go ahead and cover the levels for oil. As always, this segment is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research. They provide all of the levels and research from the Energy Glimpse Solution. Guys, just check them out, sandstonecg.com. Give them a call, 949-561-1818. I heard they're getting a Colorado number soon. Tea leaves? I don't know. Maybe we'll be able to change that number to 720, hopefully. I'm tired. I'm tired of the 949 number. I don't live in California anymore. So when we look at kind of what, you know, the, the, there's a couple things to watch for, you know, in the U.S. side. Um, Stu's got some stuff in the international news desk. Um, but U.S.-wise, I mean, I'm looking at the earnings calendar right now, Stu. Oh, my goodness. So uh, MLPX is going to release this is going to release this morning at 11. And that's actually all we have today. So today on the closing bell, it's be nice. We kind of calm before the storm because then here we go. Here starts here starts Tuesday. BP, Crestwood Equity Partners, Diamondback, Range Resources, Williams. Figure out how these gas companies are doing. CDEV, is it their last earnings call? Who knows? Exidental, Black Hills, Viper Energy, Continental, Plains All-American Pipeline. Woohoo. Wow. Big, big day. Then guess here's Wednesday. Enable Midstream, Pioneer. Smart Sand, Devon, TC Pipelines, Sempra Energy, Spire Energy, MD, MDU Resources, Thursday, Laredo, ASE Fluids, Falcons Mineral, Marathon, Murphy, Noble, OG, Parsley, Pinnacle, 
Atmos, here we go. We're getting large now. Nine point. Tal no, not nine point. Nine energy service. Talos, center point. Chenier, Simerex, another presenter at the oil and gas conference. Magnolia, PDC, Targa. Woof. Woohoo. That's Thursday, Stu. Get some sleep Wednesday night. We will be busy all day on the news desk. But to give you an idea, that's what's upcoming this week. Last week was busy. This week is going to be just as busy. Hey, um, we, on uh, one of our uh, live shows, we will be able to announce one of those. The CEO and founder will be doing a uh, uh, fireside chat, and we want to hold that as a pr surprise for here in a little bit. So that's going to be pretty darn cool. Big name. Big name in the oil industry. Big name. And then the week after that's pretty slow. Noble. Wait a minute. They're not. Uh, they're they they're not having an earnings call anymore. So this list I'm looking at is outdated. EOG, Enterplus, Noble Midstream, which is still alive. Duke, our friends at Goodrich, and Oxy round out the last list. So we slow down the week after, but who Stu? We better. I'm, we're gonna have to have the coffee pots up and firing, getting ready for okay. this one. I got Mountain Dew this morning. Uh, you and got we went Mountain Dew this morning. Yeah, I went both. I'm uh, I'm two fisting this morning. <laughs> You're double fisting. I like it. Um, the other thing I think we need to cover, um, you know, kind of U.S. slash M&A. Stu, you ran this on the news desk this morning, and that was Marathon Oil selling Speedway to 7-Eleven. Give us a rundown of that deal. Well, um, what's a few billion between friends, but it, it There's is. There's a lot of billion between friends. How did we not get cut in on this deal? Oh, I don't know. But I, I really think it's a... Uh, it's a good news, bad news kind of thing. You and I were talking about it before the show. Uh, $21 billion in cash. And this one kind of is a little bit misleading from the standpoint that, um, Michael, it is uh, not a three-year payout. And it's trying to get it off the marathon books, but uh, it's not. Well, what's the, so it's $21 billion, all cash right. deal. I see after taxes... Marathon gets about sixteen and a half billion. Right, but they get a what a three billion dollar tax cut this year, but their ROI is not for. Well, yeah. So here's I mean here's what I'm reading. So here's what I read on it. Um, Seven Eleven came out and said it expects to achieve between four hundred seventy five and five hundred seventy five million of synergies through the third year after closing the deal. So, stewed. Again, going back to our resident MBA, what do you what what what's the classic? What's well, what three year? I, I don't even know. There's some. It's like what three year ROI? You don't do uh, it. If you can do three months, do it without even thinking. If you can do three years, good deal. Four years starts getting unless it's uh, strategic and meets your long term company goals. Anything over that, I'll never do. Yeah, and part of me wonders if the reason why they maybe overpaid a little bit for Speedway was there's a 15-year fuel supply agreement for about 7.7 .7 billion gallons. So I don't know if that if they maybe they got a cheaper rate and they you know let's overpay a little bit now because we can afford it. We're one of you know there this is a Japanese company who probably has access to Japanese capital. Um, can we if if we maybe overpay a little bit now? Do we then lock in a much lower? and guaranteed fuel price for the next 15 years in order to, to do financial planning. I'm sitting here drinking out of my bear mug, and I think it is kind of silly. 
Yeah, I think they overpaid a little bit. Um, there, there, there's something to be said about you from 7-Eleven standpoint. We're just we need to continue to acquire. It's worth it's worth it to us to overpay to continue to buy up market share. Yep. Um, and but, I, uh, you know, uh, Speedway is a great brand name. Uh, they, that's, I mean, they're right in there in the the big boys. I like using them. Yeah, I. I don't know if there's a speedway in Colorado to be square with you. Um, I don't know if I've ever gone to one and I don't know if Seven Eleven. generally in Colorado, Seven Eleven doesn't operate gas stations. They just have like little mini marts all around here. They have mini marts everywhere. I, there's a mini mart down, uh, well, I, I call them mini marts, but there's Seven Elevens, no gas stations, but just the stuff. Oh, there used to be one right down the street when I lived in Golden. There's one a couple blocks over. So it is a little weird when I see Seven Eleven in gas stations. Like I keep forgetting other places. They actually do sell gas. It's going to bring them up to, I saw this, it's like 14,000 locations in U.S. and Canada, and they're buying about the, the 3,900 physical stores. Woof. That, that's also a lot of F&F furniture fixtures and locations. So um, if they own the property, they'll be able to carry the assets on their books. I don't know if they own all the property. <sighs> this is where we need that. you to do a deep dive. We're getting out of this. This is above my pay grade. Okay. Sorry. I'm just giving you a hard time. You know, it'd be interesting. I would love to see kind of from both sides. I think if you're marathon, this is a, if you if you're a marathon shareholder, specifically if you're one of the if you're the active investor over at Elliot, you're pumped. You've been calling for this for years. Um, yeah, I think you got a good deal. I mean, you're talking about sixteen and a half billion in your pocket. Yeah, that'll help to pay down debt. I mean, when we look at marathon. You're looking at um, what's a uh, marathon's debt? Oh, I forgot to look. Let's see. Give me a second here. More financials. Give them to me. Debt. Balance sheet. Debt to equity. Net debt. Never look at that. <laughs> $5.6 billion. So what, are they going to go debt free now? I like it. But hey, hey, hey. Um, what, what's the payout on this? Twenty seventy. Uh, but this is for Marathon. Not this is. But, 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 but they get the cash right away. No, they don't. Take a look at how it reads. Let me see. Let me see. Was I reading this wrong? I I didn't think they were getting the cash today. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. It says, here's what I say. Here's what I saw. It says, it says something about quarter one of 2021. That's when they close. The, the deal. deal is expected to close. Right. Deal closes. So then the- read me what you're reading because I have this all wrong then. Uh, well. Read me what you've got, because the, 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 the article I'm reading, I assumed it was just, boom, right away. There, I I thought they were throwing in the 15-year fuel supply for $7.7 billion in that. And no, that, no, that's a 15-year fuel supply agreement for $7.7 billion gallons per year. Right, but, 15, but I didn't know if that number was in there. I may have read that wrong. I didn't think it was a three-year, uh, three-month, three-year payout. I thought it was a five, maybe six. I got to go. Maybe it is a five, six-year payout from. We'll have to look but, into that. Point is, Marathon. I think it's a great price for Speedway, regardless of whether or not they get it all up front or it's over some rolling payout. Um, but I do see the, you know, I do see from the other side of the equation how. You know, rolling with it's not the worst thing in the world. I, I'll, I'll go fact check myself. Fact check myself. We'll, have to, we'll, we'll do show. We'll do show correction at the end because the other article I wanted to cover today was a Wall Street Journal article that talked about the remote drilling that 
basically that has absolutely skyrocketed. And this is something even for me that is, is, is you know, we talk about how, I don't want to say low tech, but I think in comparison, I think there's a lot of people that have the idea that the energy industry is behind other industries when it comes to technology. Not when it comes to drilling. Um, they are, you know, we, they already were doing about 20 to 20, you know, about 30 to 40% remote drilling. But Stu, this is an article in the Wall Street Journal over 60 to 60, over about 65% of all wells drilled in the past three months have been done remotely, according to a report and numbers taken from Schlumberger, Halliburton, and Baker Hughes, which are the world's three largest oil field service providers. 60% remote. And of that full percentage, over half of them were in their shorts, drilling from their beds from home. Unbelievable, the technology nowadays. I think it's great. Um. I think it's good and bad. Uh, okay. A, uh, it allowed the uh, oil companies to reduce capex. I mean, excuse me, opex, and then it um, lost a lot of our great, fantastic oil field uh, workers' uh, oh. jobs. So uh, I got mixed emotions. So what? Do, so what do you take of the argument that the the shift to remote drilling is necessary for safety concerns? Um, good operators there, uh, you know, when I have my safety, uh, rating and you have to have those safety mm. cards, uh, a good, well-run safety group, uh, safety is not, not the issue. Uh, what you do need to take a look at is how much did that technology, did they have to pay in order to implement so I don't know the answer to that, but I just know that we've lost um, uh, millions of good oil field workers, you know, all over the world. Yeah, no, and, and you know, um, it, it, no, definitely there is that. Um, there's that downside, um, which and, stinks. And, and Weatherford uh, just announced the this morning that uh, Weatherford on the north uh, slope. They had the procedures enabled installation using a restricted crew, and they did their first uh, remote uh, casing uh, remote this past week. Yeah, yeah. Get this, Schlumberger. This is this is wild. Drilled 120 in uh, 1,250 wells with the support of 250 remote engineers in quarter two. You're drilling two at the same time. That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. There's two nuggets in this article. If I'm always big about learning something from articles and how can I better myself. One of them. This is a good, good quote. So, they hit you hard. Um, They get a quote from Eric Carr, Executive Vice President of Global Business Lines at Halliburton. One, he says it's been an eye-opening experience for a lot of us. Second, he says, and this is an actual quote, a lot of jobs won't exist. Yikes. Yikes. But, but... But, 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 there's this quote in here I really like. It says this, according to multiple executives and analysts, and then they also quote Mr. Carr, companies will begin to focus on hiring more data analytics specialists and contractors and subject matter experts to remote, to remote, to remotely support multiple operations, according to executives and analysts and Mr. Carr, which was pulled by Wall Street. So what does that mean? If you are a data analyst, if you're a subject matter expert, 
Become a contractor. You're going to be able to get hired quickly because they're shifting that way. If you're unemployed, become your own consultant. It's the easiest well, way. Michael, this is also a huge, huge point is uh, millennials being hired into the oil and gas uh, companies. Uh, the, the millennials, as you know, which you may be one. Um, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a fat millennial. I'm 27. Yeah, well, you uh, you are a hyperactive uh, rat as far as a millennial goes. You're fantastic on some of these. But we, the, the millennials are the national treasure that we got to get into the oil and gas industry and attract them. This could be, I mean, one of the biggest way to attract millennials. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and the nugget I take is if engine hiring more data analytics specialists, and it says slash contractors, which right. means they're not hiring you as a W-2 employee. But what that means is there's going to be hiring a lot of remote data analytics, and they say subject matter experts. So if you, the best advice I can have for you if you're unemployed right now, just become your own consultant. Start trying to pitch contracts. I mean, you may not, you know, trust me, I, I did this. You, 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 you get one contract, and it may not be a, like a full job. You may only have 50% of a job. You, you just keep adding a little bit. Next thing you know, you've got three jobs, and, not, and you're, you're working three separate jobs. Trust me, it can happen quicker than you think. Um, so that's really, when I read this article, I was like, interesting. Okay, remote drilling's up huge. 60% of all wells being drilled, people in their shorts sitting Man. on their thing with cheetahs, which is awesome, I think. Talk about the technology shift. And that's the other um, nugget I took is, woof, I, I'm staying in the contractor analytics route because they're going to be jobs for them coming up. I, I did not even think of that, but well done. I'm always trying to educate people. That's part of this podcast. Um Stu, what do you got on the international news desk today? We are going to have uh, Shell is continuing to invest in uh, renewables. They just announced uh, Shell Australia to acquire environmental services firm Select Carbon. They didn't tell us how much uh, it's going to be. Uh, did not disclose a value for the deal. But what this is, and it's to go to net zero by 2050 or sooner. What this is, is all the majors are putting big numbers into uh, renewables. And I saw a billion dollar number in here. Oh, two to three billion per year by 2025 that Shell is investing in renewables. Uh, ESG, capital, renewables, if you don't like it, too bad. You ain't gonna be around. So, anyway, uh, I, be in it. What else? Okay, uh, real quick. Uh, Egypt giant oil pipeline. Oh, I saw this one. Holy smokes! Um, it is designed to uh, do 2.5 million barrels of Persian uh, Gulf crude from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean every day. They've got a slump and it's only down, it's down to a quarter uh, of what its capability is. Now, that tells me demand generation. And even though the, they still haven't cut uh, production enough, they have not cut production enough. 
This is and these are numbers I would have loved to see before making my international is going to make money claim because this right here plays the antithesis of why international quarter two didn't make money. They're dealing with the same inflow outflow problems we were dealing with the cushion. We just dealt with them on a larger level. That's exactly right, and they they unbelievable amount of storage they can store in that pipe. <laughs> it really is. Um, okay, and then so that that's pretty much we got a bunch of stuff coming up in. Uh, the Mediterranean and um, uh, Africa coming up this week. Uh, we'll keep you. Yeah, if you like natural gas, you better get Africa's. Africa's got to be your person. But I think it's time. Let's go ahead and just quickly cover the levels for oil this week. Remember, we moved that bottom level up for CL to thirty-eight seventy-two. Oil's currently market's <laughs> actually open right now. Pit just opened about ten minutes ago. It's been a long episode. Yikes! But pit's currently open forty forty-four. We're currently trading. I'm gonna put that bottom two levels, bottom two support levels, thirty-eight seventy-two on the downside and thirty-nine seventy-three. About probably my two biggest support levels. I like forty seventeen if you're looking to kind of play a pullback, especially if you if you, if you think from forty forty-four you might see a, a downward move. To, if if, if you think if you're bullish today i think 4017 is a great way to catch a continuation move to the upside otherwise i think 4062 is a good stopping point a lot of volume between i would say 41 and 4150 um so you've got about 50 cents right there where it could hang out for a hot minute point of control for the week is 4125 um like i said 40 or uh, not like i said but on the upside 4187 is probably the cap i could see it going as high as 42 even but it'll be very interesting what happens this week as, as terms of what my bias is for the weeks due. I just comes down to coronavirus um, news. Uh, it really is it's going to ebb and flow with that. I think as some of these production numbers roll out um, internationally, I think you know news like this, this Egypt pipeline is not going to is is is, is going to put a slump on Brent. But I, I'm pretty sideways on crude this week. I think there's a good thirty, you know, a good forty dollar, thirty nine dollar bench all the way up to forty two that you can find some some really good trades in um, if you're looking to actually trade. But otherwise, I think that's if you're an operator, you can look to get that in. Um, you know, another you know something else is interesting is just speaking of this forty dollar mark. I, some of the, th- the, the things I've been hearing is, too, it's getting difficult to hedge right now if you're an operator. It's very expensive to find very reasonable hedges in this environment. So if you, one thing that I'm looking for, companies that haven't decided to lock in or haven't already locked in some of their hedging, it could be spicy coming up because the, the numbers, when you just look at what options cost, what fees cost on top of that, how you would maneuver these contracts, it's tight. I bet you our boys over at Aegis are scratching their heads trying to figure out all they can do for some of their clients. I bet you most of their clients are covered, but I bet they're getting calls. I bet all of their clients are covered, but I bet they're getting calls from people who aren't their clients who want to be saying, hey, what can you get me in at? And that price point, it's expensive, Stu. I was looking at some options pricing. You know, if you, oh, do you want to get in today? Yikes, it's a lot. Well, uh, we, we've already got plans for having Aaron, uh, the president of Intercom, and some executives over uh, at uh, Aegis and uh, having some nice deep dive discussions on our uh, 360 uh, energy interviews. No, it'll be really good. And I'm excited uh, specifically to talk with them. I, I love me some hedging and we'll have to get we'll have to get somebody from Aegis on our pod and I just want to grill them because this will be fun. We could get really into the weeds and we release this to we'll have to put it behind the paywall because it'd be too technical. Um to <laughs> traders. So yeah, my bias this week sideways. Um I don't necessarily see it going too far up, too far down. Again, we're we're at the mercy of coronavirus though. So um 
if if it has as as the virus goes, so does um, I think the price of oil. If we sort of stay the status quo, like I said, I think we're I think we're going to trade fairly sideways. I don't see any really big news coming out. We look at the commitment of traders last week. This is the only other interesting part that maybe if you're bullish, this is not news you want to see. But then again. You don't really care what hedge funds do. Hedge funds do dropped twelve thousand on the long side, added five thousand on the short side last week. So hedge funds shorten up right now, and I don't know what that means. If that means they're buying, you know, this is full contracts. So these aren't. This is not. Um, I pull full contracts for a commitment to traders, which is much more of a hedge fund style trading of them, not where if you're buying, if you're pulling the the crude oil options. Um, commitment to traders well now you're just getting all hedging yes swaps are most of mostly done in contracts that's why i like tradingster.com which if you could find all of this commitment to trader stuff um it breaks it out where i can find where managed money is so these guys so hedge funds guys who are speculating they're short i don't know what that means whether that means they know something whether they're 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 bearish on coronavirus or they're expecting some news to come i don't know that that that's the only thing that worries me if i if i were if i would be a bull this week but uh, but besides that, um, we saw swaps get added. So you know you can you know swap you get swaps are, are slowing down. We usually see about ten thousand swaps added per week. We're down just below you know thirty five four thousand swaps this week. So woohoo yikes. So like I said, if you hadn't gotten in hedged yet, ah may the force be with you. Um, that's all <laughs> I've got to say. Stu, is there anything else this week that we missed? Um, Buckle oil up. coming up. It's gonna be a busy week, man. We need to get some sleep here. And it's only it's in the morning, so we got a long day ahead of us. But at, le- at least today will be whew, light. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we'll be good. Um, Great job, Rocky. You know, I wanted to actually. I honestly had written in my show notes to do a little Rockies talk, but we'll we'll push that off to next show. Just a lot of stuff this week. Just I got to get off my chest about them, but we'll save that for another time. Um, it's already been we're at 57 minutes, so you guys have suffered through this long enough. We're gonna go on and let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bell here on Oil and Gas 360.com. We'll see you guys this afternoon.